Hello, Riverton and Fremont County. This is Bethany Baldus with the Local Ladies Podcast. And today I am joined with Christine Sinquist, who is a brain tumor survivor and a mother who changed the policy of medical cannabis in her home state of Utah. She's here to share her story. She is the founder and board chair for Together for Responsible Use in Cannabis Education. Christine is traveling through Wyoming, meeting with patients, activists, and elected officials to bring awareness to this issue. Welcome to the show, Christine. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Bethany. How, how has Wyoming been so far? cold oh yeah (laughs) I agree it's very cold (laughs) I was looking through your pictures of your tour last night and I love that picture where you're coming across um from the Green River area Mm -hmm. or Rock Springs area and it's just wide open spaces and I'm like that is Wyoming that is Wyoming that's what I was trying to capture I wanted people who follow me on social media to see where I am Mm -hmm. it's just well it's beautiful it really is a gorgeous state and my my traveling companions keep telling me wait till we come back in spring and you see yes. all this green so and everything green so and I'm excited to, to keep coming back it's it's a beautiful state it's fun for me to be able to travel I have to say I don't think that we have a bad season though the cold is not desirable for me it's a harsh season <laughs> harsh, but it's just as beautiful as it any is other rest, it is so. um, very good so tell us a little bit about your story where you came from how this became a passion for you oh sure um well my story kind of with this activism started back really with my diagnosis. So we're going to time travel (laughs) back in 1996. I was diagnosed with a tumor. I had been experiencing migraines for quite a few years. Um, I started having migraines when I was very, very young, um, in my adolescent years and they picked up during my teen years. And I was dealing with these with my physician and, at the time, I was working at a local hospital in my town of, of uh, Bountiful, Utah, and I was walking specimens from the emergency room to the lab. I was really having a tough migraine that morning, and I called out to a colleague. I said his name and passed out. I woke up in the emergency room and had you know, my, my f- colleagues standing around me and they were telling me what had happened. They were taking me in for a CT scan and that's when they discovered a mass. Um, They seemed to be unconcerned, uh, but it concerned me. I didn't know what was going on. So I took the CT to my, my family practitioner and said, could this be the source of, you know, migraines? Could this be what's going on? And he didn't didn't think so, but we ordered an MRI, and that's when it was discovered I had an acoustic neuroma. It's a benign brain tumor, but where it was located, it was really close to my brain stem. So they felt it was really important that they go in and remove um, the tumor. But because of the location, there was some sensitivity about my viability afterwards you know mm-hmm. it, was, it was a big risk having brain surgery so they told me to get my affairs in order at the time I was a newly divorced mom I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old and I was just making my way into the world I was just trying to get my bearing financially stable and so this was a devastating bow for somebody sure. who was 24 <laughs> Wow! and was like um you know I had a whole different life trajectory that I had 
planned. I was going to be going to nursing school, nursing school in the spring. I was trying to get my life in order, and a brain tumor just was not in my five-year plan. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody plans on no, it, but it definitely no. wasn't timely. No, it wasn't, and that's that's kind of what happens. You know, you, you're busy making plans for life, mm-hmm. and, and it throws you a curveball. So I um, I got my affairs in order. I had to draw up a, a will, and I had to go and find somebody in my family who who could raise my children if I wasn't to survive. As a 24-year-old woman, I'm sure that was incredibly difficult. <laughs> it was it was scary. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And um especially cuz I had, you know, been so proud of myself of not yes. having to lean on my family mm-hmm. and not having to lean on on assistance and 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 those things. So it was very traumatizing, I guess right. you can say. To um, to not know the uncertainty really of um, what will happen, and what will happen for these little lives that you brought on sure. into this world, and so w- I ventured into surgery. Sorry, <laughs> um, I ventured into surgery, and uh, during surgery they got forty percent of the tumor, and they had a blood vessel, and I started to hemorrhage. And I slipped into a coma. I was in a coma for four days. And um, when I woke, I had stroked. And so I had some speech problems. I had some left side weakness. I had to learn to walk again and, and talk. I had some chewing problems. I was, uh, it was difficult to swallow. So I had a lot of impairments that were residual from the surgery. Um, I lost my hearing in my left ear. And I had a lot of rehabilitative work ahead of me, but I was alive, mm-hmm. and that was it was great. You know, I I remember um, the night before going into surgery, I was having a hard time sleeping because I didn't want to spend my last waking moments in this plane of existence just sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> so if I was, you have a choice, like then, yeah. right? Yeah. I was watching my baby sleep, and I just remember thinking, just. There was a high, yeah. Yeah. If there was a higher power, that they would just give me more time with these little precious souls. Mm -hmm. I just wanted more time. Mm -hmm. And so when I woke up from surgery and I saw I had more time, I was extremely grateful. Everything else was kind of secondary. Secondary, yeah. You know, it was really hard to to um to digest everything that had gone on. I just was my eyes were open. I was alive. The hair on my legs was really, really long because it had been a few days. <laughs> I knew I shaved before I went into the hospital. Um, but it was um, it was a really wonderful experience to be there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was ahead of me at that point in time. I really thought, at 24, you think you're invincible. Sure, sure. The world you is your oyster. That, yes. You still have that armor You're on. just so naive. I mean, when I was diagnosed with a tumor, I remember telling the doc... Okay, what are we doing about it? You know, it's just so like, you know, warrior. I'm gonna right. It, and coming out of the surgery, I felt, oh, I felt broken. Mm-hmm. I felt broken. I mean, to hear myself talk with that slur, it was sure. so unnerving. Sure, it was so so unnerving. And I still had wires and everything coming out of me. I didn't want my children to see me like that. Mm-hmm. I spent nine days in the hospital, kind of get some recovery. But I didn't want my children to see me in such a weak state. Right. right. I was, I was their everything. You know, mm-hmm. I was the 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 caregiver and at all. And so I'm 
it was really scary the next, and honestly, the next 16 years, I was bedridden and housebound. I had to apply for disability. I had to go on state assistance, food stamps, uh, just all of it, state housing. And that's, I spent years recovering. I've been So on, that would have been your 20s and your 30s lost. Yep, I was, yeah, 16 years. Your so children's childhood. My, I was raising children from my bed, mm-hmm. from my couch. And it was a very hushed life. I still s- suffer tremendously from migraines, de- debilitating migraines. I have several diagnoses of different types of migraines that I have, and any one of them just knocks me down for days. So it was just a constant, very quiet. Um, we spent a lot of time in the emergency rooms and doctor's offices. Mm-hmm. Those were my outings. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really kind of sad, tragic life. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly going into the hospitals to get meds readjusted. Sure. Because I was on a fentanyl patch at one point. You know, I'd been on um, pain pumps were talked about. I've had nerve ablations done, trigger point injections, in and out of pain clinics. What was the most prescriptions you were ever on at one time? Oh, I think I was probably, I was on eight, eight different ones at one time, you know, taking, mm-hmm. you know, several of them throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I've been on over 45 different wow. medications since the beginning of the diagnosis mm-hmm. to now. And it's been, it's just been awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of me being bedridden was always secondary to the, the side effects to the medication. Sure. Um, and the depression. Mm-hmm. I think we don't talk about that enough with people with chronic illnesses, diseases. Um, the depression that comes with it is just overwhelming. You feel so disconnected from your community, mm-hmm. from just the social networking that, that is just the everyday life. You don't think about how you drop off your kids at school and you see somebody from their, their school and you say hello and you have that exchange or you go to the grocery store and you know, you're just minding your own business, but you talk to the bag boy or you talk to the checkout. You don't realize that that human interaction that a normal everyday person has feeds to their, their emotional well-being. when a patient or a caregiver, because caregivers suffer a secondary situation where they live like a sick person, but they're well, Right. And so it's a very, it's a secondary sort of tragedy that happens when we have, you know, a chronic illness in our family. And so all those things compounded over 16 years, it really devastated my family. It really devastated all of, we all sort of suffer some level of PTSD with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the traumatizing effect of, you know, a chronic loved one or a loved one being in chronic pain. So during that 16 years, in and out of the emergency rooms, in and out of hospitals, and I was just not getting much relief. Um, I About seven years ago, I hit another pain wall, which was typical, and it was usually the, okay, I have to go into the hospital for a few days, they're going to play with my meds, and I'm going to yeah. come down off of this, and they're going to put me on this, and I'll walk out with a different cocktail in my system, you know, and I didn't want to do it. Right. I was done. I'm mm-hmm. so done with the opiate withdrawals that I was about to have to go through again. I mean, they gave me supportive meds, you know, which is just a joke. More meds. Here's more meds for the meds we're going to take you (laughs) off of. I just, I was, I was physically and emotionally done. Mm -hmm. I was just so done. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the time I, I was in a really bad spell. I'd been down for about six to eight weeks, not eating. I was, I, I was getting bedridden. Um, my husband was having to carry me, helping me to the bathroom, help bathe me. I was not keeping even applesauce down at this point. Um, I was looking into cannabis. 
marijuana as a potential for my nausea because it was so bad. I was in a cyclical vomiting mm-hmm. on top of the migraine pains. And anybody who's listening to your podcast, if you suffer from migraines and to have them day after day after day, weeks after weeks, it just, it's unrelenting. And right. I was fatigued. Um, I wanted to try cannabis. So I, I took this notion to my doctor and he said, well, please don't do anything illegal. Let me send you to another pain clinic. And this pain clinic has, you know, they'll, they'll prescribe Marinol, which is an FDA-approved drug that is synthesized THC. came out in the 80s. And I was like, great, you know, anything to get the, the vomiting under control. And it's legal, you know, fantastic. And they started me on that, that therapy. After about two weeks, I had to quit. That the side effects to the pharmaceutical, just like so many others, it just it, too many problems. It was too right. too much. But before I did, I went on the internet and started Googling Marinol and patients and chronic pain and just trying to find those forums where patients were talking about this issue. Mm-hmm. And I found um, people were saying, you know, stay away from Marinol. You should try whole plant. That's a new term. I hadn't whole plant cannabis. I didn't understand what these new terms right. were. Started reading about cannabinoids and terpenes and and flavonoids and all cb1 receptor like this lexicon of of language started coming at me and i was like there seems to be some science behind this <laughs> that which was weird because my upbringing was just a little bit different and so i'm reading all this science and i'm getting really excited about this isn't just a hippie thing <laughs> this sure. isn't just a rastafarian you know religious thing there's something here because I kept stumbling across research materials right. and, and stuff and not just things poo-pooing on cannabis. It was stuff that was kind of um, encouraging literature. So this led me to a conversation I had to have with somebody really important in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to call my daddy. I had to call my dad and, and, and tell him what I was finding out and what I was discovering. And um, like everybody, I'm sure people have their dads as their heroes, but my father is, is special to me and, and to my to the community I grew up in. Um, my father is, a, is an ex-Marine and a Vietnam veteran. Um, he was also a narcotics officer in Miami and during the 70s and 80s. So this is really heavy during the, you know, the drug sure. era that's just started to come on. I mean, he was, he just got out of the police academy when Castro had just released those 2,000 criminally insane on Miami shores. Uh So we had a lot of the drug lords who had been in jail in Cuba now on Miami shores. So he was literally in the trenches of He was literally Miami Vice. (laughs) (laughs) And so he did undercover work, you know, for that. So, And I bet it skewed his point of view for a while well (laughs) for sure i mean i he he went through the police academy Mm -hmm. and there's there's a um a dialogue a philosophy that is taught especially during the 70s i mean we have to remind your audience that it was in 71 that nixon came out and declared the war on drugs just to give everybody some context as to what my father as you know a young 20 something just went into the academy, came out, you know, he's fought for his country in Vietnam, was treated very poorly when he came home. Like his 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 understanding of, of cannabis was 
probably something very different. At least that's, I, I didn't know. Yeah. So I just didn't know. So were you terrified to ask him? Oh my goodness. <laughs> would you be? Yeah, I would be terrified. I, I adore my dad, yeah. but there's a certain amount of respect when you have a father who's a Marine, mm-hmm. who's a two and a half <laughs> in Vietnam, who's a six foot four yeah. Nordic, Norwegian, <laughs> like, just like this blonde just hair, blue eyes. Daddy. No, no, you know, this, this is bit. not Mayberry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so asking dad, Hey, what do you think? What is your opinion? This is like, I, I, I know my, I'm the oldest, so I had to lay out my arguments. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you had it ready. You were ready. Daddy, this is, these are the arguments, you know, he knew exactly how long I'd been suffering. He understood where, where I was on this. Yeah, it was um, all on the edge of our seats. Yeah. What did he say? Dad said, you should try it. Yeah. You absolutely should try it. Um, in Florida, they were having that dialogue. Um, he's retired, of course, mm-hmm. now, but it, it's happening in the geriatric community, this conversation about medical cannabis. So sure. he was very supportive. I tried the cannabis and I, well, procuring my first bag was a bit of a, a joke. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners actually buy illegal cannabis, <laughs> but that was a challenge. I had to turn to my then 19-year-old daughter and oh. say, oh, honey. <laughs> Grandpa says it's okay. <laughs> like you don't understand that this is such a shift within our family. Sure. All growing up, my children heard, "Don't use drugs." Grandpa's a narcotics officer. Right. Like it's a very right. different sort of mm-hmm. thing than to turn to my child and say, "Is there anybody, any of your friends that use cannabis?" Um, because in in Utah at the time, we were having a, an epidemic of something called spice. Okay, and it was being pitched as legal cannabis or legal mm-hmm. weed and you could buy it in smoke shops and stuff so this is back in like 2012 mm-hmm. for me and so naive just a housewife you know like i wanted to know is this something i should i could purchase that would be like cannabis but it's legal you know i didn't know my right, ignorance was right. but it was a 19 year old yeah. he's like no <laughs> stay, stay away, away from, from that's poison <laughs> being sprayed on plant mm-hmm. material that's not real that's nothing mm-hmm. it's a chemical that is to mimic you know something on the cannabinoid system so no stay away from it it's and amazing that she had that information for well you, though. <laughs> that tells us something a yep. little bit yep. you know there might be working a little differently than we thought <laughs> like, right. but it was it was that moment that i started to realize we need an education mm-hmm. to happen. It, this is concerning to me that I didn't know the difference. I could have very, there was many people who were buying spice and getting sick, right. having seizures, having brain damage, getting into in the hospital. And, and that started to spark something in me. Right. I procured, I did procure my first bag of cannabis. I, I used it the first time in a, in a pipe during this, this particular episode and it instantly alleviated my symptoms of nausea. Um, because I had that that medical background, I started documenting what I was doing. So, you know, just just like most people can imagine, I just loaded a bowl. Mm-hmm. But with each toke that I took, um, or inhalation for those who don't know all the slang, um, I would write down the time that I took it, at what time I took it, what I felt, the side effects, and then how long of a duration I got relief from my nausea. And I did that for over a course of two weeks. I started using my cane and I was walking around my house. I was getting my strength back again. It but wasn't, it wasn't the, an instant. 
No, no, it was, well, and, that, and that's what I want to make sure your, your listeners understand too. Cannabis isn't a panacea. What it was doing for me was alleviating me of my worst symptoms, which was the inability to sleep, was the cyclical vomiting, the muscle spasms in my legs, the pain that, it, the pain that I was suffering started to subside. It was, it was mitigating those symptoms so that I could keep water down. I could get nutrition in my body. I could get sleep. And those were key components to my health starting to improve. I wanted to continue that. So after two weeks of this going on, I, I decided that was that was the experiment I needed, those mm-hmm. two weeks. And so I continued. Six months later, I was driving again. Eight months later, I found my way to Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Still using my cane, still <laughs> using my handicap parking, thank goodness back then. But that's when I started to figure out how the political process works so that I could be legal. I wanted to be a law-abiding citizen, but my frustration was this this really ill-conceived drug war has harmed a patient population. Mm -hmm. And and granted, we may not have known that, but what I've discovered, we have. We We did understand that there was some science behind cannabis and learning about the history of cannabis. Right the prohibition of cannabis, Mm -hmm. that cannabis used to be in our pharmacopoeia. Like all of this information just welled in me. So I had to start a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I started a nonprofit called Truce. It's an acronym and it has, it's meant to invoke a whole, you know, it's time to draw a truce on this, this drug war, especially for this plant. Right. Um, Together for responsible use in cannabis education. I really felt like if, if the community, our, our important elected officials understood the history and the policy and the science behind this, we could write better policy for patients. Sure. And so that's what I did. I started a nonprofit in Utah. I started a grass movement. I started bringing more patients up to the Capitol to teach them the process, what it means to go through a committee hearing, how to testify, how to contact your legislators and and develop a good rapport with them so you could get your issue heard. Mm -hmm. And we worked on that in Utah for five years and we passed policy. Very awesome. Now Utah has a medical cannabis program. And I'm here in Wyoming to hopefully share my story and find other patients in in your community who want to try cannabis, who want to share their story, who want to help lobby this issue to raise awareness for the need. I think that there's such an element in this um, that uh, there's so much education. Because, like, I have to say I'm pretty neutral on a lot of things with this, but... um, it's just knowing like the education and learning what it can do for people that it's not actually like what we imagine it being, but there's an actual yeah. medical process for using medical cannabis. It's, it's really true. I'm, and, and I have to share with your, I, I went through an evolution on this issue. You know, it's, there was a period of time and I know this happens in our families where, um, this, this plant has been misunderstood and those who use it have been labeled. Right. Um, and I say, I want to share this this because I think it's important. I disowned my mother for three years. I wouldn't talk to her. I didn't receive her birthday cards. I, re- I just refused to engage with her because she was a cannabis user. Mm. This is before I ever knew about cannabis mm-hmm. and that it could help. And I wish I could take those years back. Right. It is not worth pushing our loved ones away. Right. There's so much ignorance based around this particular plant. And people use cannabis for two reasons. It's either a mental condition or a physical one. 
a lot of times, like I was telling you earlier, they, they kind of meld. Depression runs very heavily in a chronically ill patient's life. And cannabis has been really demonized, but we also need to be very careful. That's why my nonprofit has that responsible use in yes, it. Yes. Using something medicinally, getting getting the body to homeostasis, which is just alleviating your symptoms so that you can function and maintain your normal day life is super important. It's the difference between use and abuse on any drug. Uh, thank any you for drug. saying any drug because we do have use and abuse with pharmaceuticals. Yep. Everybody's like, well, it's legal. Yeah, but listen. Alcohol, if, anything. If, absolutely. Yep. Everything, moderation in all things. Yep, yep. Um, this, I think cannabis is another tool in the toolbox for people mm-hmm. who will benefit. And we have to give some acknowledgement that there are people in our population that cannabis is not good for. Right. That's why we want that really good partnership and relationship with our, our medical community. Sure. So that we're working together. There are definitely um, people who suffer from schizophrenia are prone to it uh, that it runs in their family that shouldn't be using cannabis and that that's why that relationship with physicians and and a patient is so vital in that process is a doctor will know that those markers are there they'll understand a patient's history so having an honest conversation about it in a medicinal mind frame i think will bring more people on board with with maybe a program happening here in Wyoming, which is what I would love right. to see. You guys have a lot of patients who still need access to this, but we gotta we gotta create a groundswell of support first. Yes, I I really appreciate you coming through the state and um, educating, and that yeah. that's more important to you than just trying to swing mud at a wall and just like actually taking the time to educate and making sure people understand what we're getting into. Right. Well, it's a big issue. It's a big industry. It's a big commodity. It has the potential to bring money into the state, but it also, it's a, it's a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I, it has to be handled respectfully. And that's what I'm trying to do. I want to reach out to the advocates, the activists, the patients, the caregivers, the medical community, law enforcement, our legislators, all the stakeholders in our, in your state need and deserve a voice at the table to have this conversation. Um, we, I saw in Utah a lot of vitriolic relationships mm-hmm. develop because we didn't, we didn't trust each other enough to talk. Sure. I think we were so worried about what the other person was going to do. And taking those lessons there and bringing them to Wyoming and saying, listen, you guys have wonderful people here who deeply love each other and don't want to be tied in the middle of a tug of war over this issue right so if we can talk it will be really helpful so for anybody who's interested in getting involved in your efforts <laughs> what is your um how do they contact you well you can definitely go to truceutah.org and that's our website you can find us on social media we run the truce facebook page you can reach out we have several admins that that watch that page um if you go through our social media you can contact us and reach out to us i think the the Libertarian Fremont County uh, Party, you can reach out to them. They're allies of mine, and they can get in touch with, with you as well. Very good. Thank you so much for coming, and enjoy your travels, and enjoy the state while you're in, t- in, in the state. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much, Bethany. Have you always wanted to better understand depression, anxiety, stress, and other mental health issues? What's challenging? What's positive? Join me, Lance Godey, a licensed professional counselor from Riverton, as I share information, discuss all areas of mental health, invite guests to talk about their work, and explore the human mind. 
this podcast is Positively Mental. This is Fremont County Commissioner Mike Jones, and I'm happy to announce that I'm joining the 10Cast Network. I hope you'll join me on my new podcast, Small Town Forecast. The show will focus on the future of all aspects of small town America, including our communities right here in Fremont County. Whether it's technology, logistics, healthcare, air travel, or many other issues, all aspects of small town America will be impacted differently than large cities. We're trying to answer the question, how do small towns in America thrive in the future? We'll have guests and expertise and insight into trends and issues that will impact rural and small towns. Like 10 Casts on Facebook or Twitter and follow podcasts on County 10. The Small Town Forecast is coming soon.